What an honor and privilege it is for us to be together this morning and to have the opportunity to worship our Heavenly Father in spirit and in truth. We are truly blessed, as Steve mentioned in the opening remarks, to have the freedoms that we have, and may we never take those far granted. We have visitors, I'm sure, today, and we are delighted that you're here. There are some here for the very first time, some of our little babies, and we are happy that they're able to be with us this morning as well. We have our ushers coming down the aisle. Take from them a study guide, if you would. I don't mean that you'll have to hold them up or at gunpoint or anything like that, because they will gladly give you one, and we hope that you will utilize it in our study of the Bible this morning. As we examine a lesson that we have entitled, Faulty Foundations. Faulty Foundations. I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 7. The Sermon on the Mount is concluding. And Jesus ends that great sermon by saying, beginning in verse 24, Therefore, whosoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him unto a wise man who built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house. And it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that hears these sayings of mine and does them not shall be likened unto a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. That particular teaching of our Lord is very well known, has been talked about many, many times. We need to keep in mind that Jesus is illustrating for those who have heard this sermon the truths that he has revealed throughout the sermon. And in particular, in verse 21, he said, Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That's the one who is going to be saved eternally. And Jesus in this parable, I guess you could say, wherein he illustrates the folly of building on sand instead of rock serves to illustrate and drive home all of the teachings that he's done in this sermon. Because these things that Jesus has said, if not heard, heeded, and applied, will do no one any good. The one who fails to receive these things and make application of them through obedience thereto, those are the ones who will be blessed in service to the Lord. The idea of faulty foundations came to mind a few days ago, a few weeks ago, when I was watching the development of the story down in Surfside, Florida, where that 12-story complex 
collapsed. And the authorities have pretty well established that it was caused by a faulty foundation. The foundation may have been in pretty good shape when it was built. There are codes that are called for in all construction anymore. And if followed, the result is that the building will be much safer, sounder, more secure. But if people take shortcuts or if there are things that, are de- that develop to cause that foundation to begin shifting, and if it doesn't have enough steel in it and the concrete is not mixed exactly right, cracks can begin to occur The foundation can break into fragments and pretty soon uh, it just won't hold up the superstructure. That is so illustrative of life, isn't it? Our hearts go out to those families that have lost loved ones and I've read accounts of the horror, the screaming, people wanting to find someone who was missing, a family member that had not been discovered. I know that you could pull out your cell phone and tell us in just a minute how many people have died and how many are yet missing. The last account I heard, it was almost a hundred that were known dead and there were still several that were missing. It's very sad But I want to talk about other matters today that are pretty well illustrated by that. The Bible has a lot to say about foundations. Jesus' teaching is an example of what an emphasis is made on foundations throughout. And you'll notice that I included Jesus' teachings about this builder, these two builders, from Luke's account. Luke emphasizes the fact that the wise builder dug deeply. He talks about him digging deeply. Sometimes builders want to see how little they have to put in the foundation. I can remember my dad saying on many or several occasions when he was building something, dig it deep and wide, deep and wide. It not only needs to be deep, but it needs to be spread out where it'll be harder for it to sink. Have more ground under it. And those foundations that are built that way and and steel is put in them, you know, they will, they will stand up a long, long time. You even think back to houses that were built in this area. We, we have some rocks along the streets here. There was one just across the street over there that had these humongous rocks in the foundation. I don't know how many years that house had been there, but it had been level and square and all of that because it had a good foundation. The Bible talks about even the foundation of heaven, 2 Samuel 22, verse 8. It talks about 
the foundations of the world are earth. Second Samuel twenty-two sixteen mentions that. The psalmist alludes to it in Psalm 82, verse 5. And God asked Job in, uh, in Job 38, verse 4, Where were you when I laid the foundations for the earth? We know from shots from space that the earth rests on nothing that is visible, but it rests really upon the power of God. It is where He placed it. It rotates and revolves exactly as He designed it to do. It is tilted at exactly the right angle to allow life to exist upon it and to continue without being frozen to death or burned to a crisp. But Isaiah talks about the world being hung upon nothing. There are no large cables attached. No, it does not rest upon the back of a huge turtle as the ancient Egyptians believed. It's suspended on nothing. And yet it is said that there is a foundation for it. The foundation of God always stands sure. Then there's also the foundation of the hills. Psalm 18, verse 7. We read of the temple being constructed during the days of Solomon, and then it was rebuilt, and the foundation had to be relaid. And the book of Ezra talks about that foundation. Ezra chapter 5. And then there's the foundation of the church. Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. God is our refuge. The Lord is our rock. He is our strength. The church rests upon a sound and solid foundation, Jesus Christ Himself. Isaiah predicted that a rock, a stone, would be laid, would be the chief cornerstone will be laid in Jerusalem. Think about the original temple being built and then destroyed by the Babylonians. And then those Jewish people that returned from captivity rebuilding that. You think of how many big, huge stones were laid in that foundation. Isaiah was saying there's going to be a chief cornerstone laid. And indeed, the New Testament tells us that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that. I want you to look for a moment at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul had taken the gospel to Corinth, probably the most corrupt city in the world at that time. There may have been others that were close, but Corinth was so wicked and so corrupt so licentious that if somebody wanted to degrade another person, they would refer to him as having been Corinthianized. Kind of like the Sodom of the Old Testament, Sodom and Gomorrah. And as you read Paul's epistles to the church at Corinth, 
It is apparent that there were huge moral issues in that city. And Paul warns the brethren there about evil communications and bad companionships and all of those things and getting, trying to, to serve in the temple of the Lord and the temple of the devil at the same time. But in 1 Corinthians 3, as he is laying the groundwork for what he wants to talk to the Corinthians about, he said, beginning in verse 10, according to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder. Paul, as an apostle, was a master builder. I have laid the foundation, and another builds thereon. Paul had brought the gospel to Corinth. And then others have been preaching and teaching. But let every man take heed how he builds thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. What had Paul preached? He had preached Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He hadn't preached himself. Hadn't preached the philosophies of the day, either Jewish or Gentile. He had preached the pure and simple gospel of Christ. He goes on to talk about in verses eleven and or verses uh, twelve and thirteen how that others needed to take heed how they built upon that foundation. And he likened that which they put in place to gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. Notice some of these are very valuable. Some of them would burn and decay very easily. I think he is telling those who would build upon that foundation that he had laid to be sure you teach people the truth and convert them genuinely to Christ because they're not going to last if you do not preach the word to them. He said every man's work is going to be made manifest. For the day shall declare it. It may be the day of persecution that will prove just how faithful some are. And certainly in the day of judgment, the Lord will weed out those that have not been faithfully serving in His kingdom. But notice the emphasis on a foundation. The church rests upon a foundation. And it is very, very important. Foundations are vitally important. Here are some passages that real, uh, reveal that. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Psalm 11, verse 3. We've already seen that the fate of the wise and foolish builders was determined exactly by the foundation they laid. Sometimes people think, well, you know, it's going to be fair weather forever. And this foundation's not going to cost me a lot, not going to take a whole lot to get it in place. So it'll be fine. And then the storm comes. The wind begins to blow. The rain begins to come. 
It was remarked a while ago about, hope we had a good week at camp, and we've already had a thunderstorm. Several of us were up there getting things in place yesterday afternoon late, and it came a frog strangler and gully washer. I mean, we had water running everywhere. We'll have all kinds of weather, don't we? And seldom will we make it through camp without a thunderstorm watching or watch. But we build in view of storms coming. I've never understood why some people build houses where they do. I remember coming through Carthage years ago and you could see nothing but the television antennas on some people's houses. Those houses had to be torn down and moved. There's several houses that have been taken up and moved since I've lived in Carthage. We just don't think ahead, do we? The storm is coming. Judgment is coming. So we need to build on a good, solid foundation. The, psalm, or the writer of Proverbs, Solomon said in Proverbs 10, verse 25, the righteous is an everlasting foundation. He is saying if you will be a righteous person and if you'll build your life on the principles of faith and faithfulness to God and righteous living, godly living, then you'll, you, you'll survive. You will make it through but he likens the wicked in that same passage to a whirlwind. Now, there are some whirlwinds that go very quickly. Of course, tornadoes we know do all kinds of damage, but they do it very quickly and they're gone. Sin leaves devastation behind. It always has. And it still does to this day. Oh, yes, foundations are of vital importance. Are the foundations being shaken? They can be. Do you remember when Paul and Silas were in prison in Acts 16? And the earthquake came. Luke records that the foundations of the prison were shaken. So much so that the doors opened. And the jailer, supposing that all the prisoners had escaped, was about to kill himself because he was going to be killed anyway if they'd all gotten away. That was the prescription by the Roman government. If the prisoners escaped under the watch of a certain jailer, that jailer died because that was his responsibility. And was he ever surprised when Paul said, do yourself no harm, we're all here. Can you imagine prisoners not escaping that situation? The doors just open. They're free to go. I don't know how many other prisoners were there with Paul and Silas, but I can't help but believe that those two good men had had an influence upon those other prisoners, and they discouraged them from fleeing. 
Or maybe they just had developed a lot of confidence in Paul and Silas because they, after all, had been praying and singing. Maybe the others were joining in by that time. But you remember that that resulted in the conversion of the Philippian jailer. One of the greatest stories of conversion that you'll find in the book of Acts. He's one of several that we're given to tell us and to teach us how people are converted to Christ. They hear the gospel. They turn from a life of sin. That gospel produces faith that leads them to confess Jesus as the Son of God as illustrated in the case of the Ethiopian. This man and his household heard the gospel. When he asked what he must do to be saved, Paul told him, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Some people stop there because that's all they want to think about. But you got to ask the question, how does one come to believe? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10, 17. So that necessitated the jailer hearing the gospel. And Paul and Silas preached it to him, to his whole household. And the result was that they believed and they became obedient and were baptized into Christ. The same hour of the night. Great example. But what about the foundations of our homes? No, I'm not talking about a house. There's a difference between a house and a home. Surely we've all learned that by now. The foundations of homes are being shaken. There are things that are going on in our world that are truly, truly shocking. There are movements afoot. Philosophies that are, have been developed and refined to just eat away at the foundation. Remember, they said that foundation there in Florida, something had been eating away at it. Maybe it was in connection with a swimming pool leak or whatever, but whatever happened, that foundation began to fragment and began to weaken, and it simply could not bear the load that was resting upon it. And the building began to crack here and crack there and get all out of line, bent out of shape. And the pressure just became so great that he couldn't stand. There are a lot of homes that are collapsing. God created the home. What God has joined together, let not man put us under. That's God's law. Given back in the book of Genesis, echoed by Jesus in Matthew 19, and in the teachings throughout the New Testament. In Ephesians 5, Paul uses a relationship that goes all the way back to the book of Genesis to illustrate the relationship between Christ and His church. You know what He chose? He chose a husband and a wife. 
Now that is a family. Husband and wife, a man and a woman. They have children. There are people now, though, who just think of and take great pride in the sin of homosexuality. That's not the only sin of which Sodom and Gomorrah were guilty. The Bible makes clear that it had a lot of companion sins. You may have heard me say in time past that sin is like grapes. It always grows in clusters. You will have one sin maybe that somebody focuses on, but if you really get to studying the the, the shape of it or the, the development of it, you'll find that there's always other grapes in the cluster. Always. Paul said, husbands are to love their wives. Wives are to reverence their husbands. When you have that combination, you'll have a good relationship and a happy home. Oh, there'll be problems. The devil's going to see to that. He infiltrated the very first home, and he does his best to infiltrate our homes today. He loves to shake the friends his termites in to eat away at the wood. Oh, he's busy. And sometimes we even invite him in. By the literature we read, by the movies and the TV programs we watch, and we get desensitized to the cursing and the swearing and the drinking and the gambling and all of these things that go on. People cheating on their spouses, having affairs, on and on you can go. It's subtle. Some of you may remember me telling about J.B. Gaither many, many years ago. He was the preacher that preached in Gainesboro when uh, probably before I was born, or around that time anyway. And there was a young woman at the time, she was young, who was married to, uh, who was a daughter of the local preacher. And Brother Gaither came to hold a meeting where they were. And she said, I remember us riding down the road taking Brother Gaither to go somewhere to eat. And this is how long ago it's been. We passed a house that had an antenna, television antenna on the top. Remember that? We, we still have one to our house in Tanglewood. I've just never got around to getting it down because we're on cable now. But he looked at that and he said, right there, my friends, are the devil's horns. <coughs> And that young lady said, I laughed to myself. Brother Gaither was proven right. The devil has largely taken over television and the movies and all of that. He is a regular, if you please, in Hollywood. The foundations of the home. You know, we never heard when I was growing up about all this transgender, transgenderism, when you get right down to the bottom line, God made male and female. That's it. But now we're being told why. You can just decide 
what gender you want to be. You need to make up a gender. And we have all kinds of genders now. It's astounding how the foundations of the home are crumbling away. We got to get busy and reinforce and rebuild and make strong again. Let's go back here just a minute. What about the nation? Oh, there's so many passages in the Bible that emphasize the fact that God does have the control of nations. I do not have the time this morning, but I promise you I will read more of these quotes in the future, our Lord willing. Here's what Patrick Henry said. He said, I am not so much alarmed as at the apprehension of France destroying the great pillars of all government and of social life. I mean virtue, morality, and religion. Notice those three, virtue, morality, and religion. He said, this is the armor, my friend, and this alone that renders us invincible. He's talking about the U.S., these are the tactics we should study. If we lose these, we are conquered, fallen indeed. Three things, virtue, morality, and religion. John Adams, who signed the Declaration of Independence, was the vice president under George Washington and the second president of the United States. I want you to listen to this quote. We have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. Government cannot control a society that is not governed by morality and religion. Unbridled passions will result in the demise of of any nation. He said, Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Statesmen, my dear sir, may plan and speculate for liberty, but it is religion and morality alone which can establish the principles upon which freedom can securely stand. Do those words sink in? That's one of the founding fathers. People bicker back and forth. They wrote things down, their own record, as saying these things. The only foundation of a free constitution is pure virtue. And if this cannot be inspired into our people in a greater measure than they have it now, they may change their rulers and the forms of government, but they will not obtain a lasting liberty. They will only exchange tyrants and tyrannies. Now those are powerful words, and I could multiply those several times over, and hopefully we'll have the opportunity. Such quotations as this, and from George Washington, the quote, father of the country, and many others could be cited. 
Let's not allow those foundations to be destroyed. What about the church? Is it a holy nation? That's what God described it as being. He said we're to be a holy nation. We're to be a peculiar people. We are to be a pure bride. You adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that friendship with the world is enmity with God? When we fall out of love with the Lord and into love with the world, we've committed spiritual adultery. And that is a serious, serious offense, isn't it? The foundations are being shaken. We got to get busy and shore them up. Take a stand for what is right. Stand for the good. Stand against that which is evil. We're to be a people that abhor evil and cleave to the good. Romans 12, 9. Abstain from the very appearance of evil. 1 Thessalonians 5, 22. We're to love that which is right and good and abhor that which is evil. Foundations can and do fragment. Faulty foundations may look pretty good. You know, you can do a, you can cover up a whole lot of things with a little bit of mortar mix and paint, refinishing work, but if that foundation is faulty, it will prove to be fatal. Jesus talked about the facade of the whited sepulchers. But inwardly, he said, you're full of dead men's bones. Faulty foundations are fatal. That's the bottom line. The man that built on the sand, his house collapsed. Couldn't stand the pressures of the storms of life. We build on the rock. We can stand. And we will be proven faithful in the end, if such we will do. How and upon what are you building today? We've already told you about what's required to become a Christian. Do that if you haven't already. You've gone back to the ways of the world and you've turned from righteousness, which exalts nations and individuals. Come back to God. Confess your sins. We pray that you might be forgiven. We invite you to come as together we stand and sing.